Let's pray. Let's pray. I think uh, Lawrence is pulled up. Father God, thank you for having us all here tonight. We ask your blessing upon this study, upon this time in your word. And we just pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit, that anoint this and give us the understanding to this book that you promise a blessing if we were to read and to follow the, uh, this word in our hearts. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're, um, we're at chapter 10. And we're um, we're in between the the last uh, trumpet. The, we're, we've done the six trumpets, and we're in between the seventh trumpet. And like I said before, there's always in the in the chronology of this um, the book of Revelation. There's um, the six judgments, and then there's a parenthetical, or there's a a pause or, a, or a, even like an intermission, sort of, where it's just a parenthetical chapter with information, and that's what we're going to be looking at right now. So um, we looked at the, the three, there was three woes that were proclaimed, you know, before this, uh, which were the three last judgments, and the two of them were the, the pit, the bottomless pit was opened up, and then we had the 200 million riders from the east, or those demonic hordes that came out of the pit and killed one third of mankind. And so we're in between that last, the last woe of the, the seventh trumpet. And so these are um, things that are, are um, parenthetical. So that, that we're from chapter 10, verse 1 to 11, 14 is sort of a parenthetical um, mix. Uh, and uh, it, it makes it easier to understand the chronology of the book of Revelation if you know that. You know, that, that's how it's la laid out. It's, it's running um, linearly, but then there's places where, uh, in these parenthetical chapters, where it's a stop in the, in the um, timeline, and it's giving us information that would be um, helpful to the overall picture. And so in chapter 10, it starts with, it says, I saw I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he cried with a loud voice as when a lo uh, lion roars, when it's cried out, the seven thunders uttered their voices. So got a picture of that. This is sort of a uh, interesting thing. So it's, you know, they, they make this, and you think about it, if, if this angel was so large that he had one foot on the land and one foot on the sea, and then his, his head was, uh, you know, like, a, a, like covered with a rainbow, and he was in the clouds, this is a pretty big angel, you know. The thing is, that in studying this, you know, some people, it was kind of a 50-50 mix. There's some people that believe this is Jesus, and there's other people, because you called it a mighty angel, they go, it's, it's an angel, it's not Jesus. But it, it, it sort of fits the description of Christ from what we saw in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. Um, but they're also saying that the thing that he's having in his hand is that scroll, that, or the book that was, the, the scroll that was uh, sealed with the seven seals, now that it's been opened and he's holding on to it. And 
what this is synonymous with or what, what's being um, portrayed here is his taking dominion over the earth, you know, taking and the judgments that are going to come in order to have that be to the fullness. We're at this point, we're about three and a half years into the tribulation period. So this is a right around the midpoint and there will be a little bit more detail that would uh, give that kind of more um, credibility. Um, you know, some of the things that, you know, where some people say in favor of this being Jesus, if, uh, let's go to Jeremiah, the, the book of Jeremiah 25. And, you know, I'm just going to refer to some scriptures that talk about this roaring. And we know that Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, you know, the lion from the tribe of Judah. So in chapter 25, verse 29, uh, let's see. It says, for behold, I begin, 25, 29, yeah. It says, behold, I begin to bring a calamity on the city, which is called by my name, that it should be utterly unpunished. You shall not be unpunished, for I will call for a sword of the inhabitants of the earth, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore prophesy against them these words and say to them, the Lord will roar on high and utter his voice, from the holy habitation, he will roar against uh, his fold. He will give a shout to those who tread on the grapes against the inhabitants of the earth. A noise will come to the ends of the earth, for the Lord has a controversy with the nations. He will plead with, uh, his case with all flesh. He will give those who are wicked to the sword, says the Lord. So what he's proclaiming here is, um, you know, the, the, that scroll of that book was open, and the judgments that are going to proceed from this point forward. In Hosea uh, 11.10, it says, They shall walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars. Joel 3.16, um, it says, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake, uh, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and a strength for the children of Israel. And then one more in Amos 3.8, it says, The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can, can but prophesy? Um, so we know, you know that, that sort of, uh, whether it's illustrative of Jesus, this mighty angel, and then there was somebody else who said that Jesus was never portrayed as an angel after the resurrection or after he incarnated. You know, there was times where, um, you know, like when Jacob wrestled, it says he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, capital A. Though in this angel is not capitalized either. There is no capital A. So it's kind of a mystery. It's a kind of a 50-50 mix where some people say it's Jesus. Other people believe it's, a, it's an angel, uh, a regular angel. Um, in verse, let's see, this is the one. He's roaring, roaring at the, the lion in, in proclamation in that. And it says, he cried out with a loud voice as the lion roars when he had cried out the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And so... Uh, in verse 4, it says, Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, it was about to write, but I heard a voice from the heavens saying to me, Seal up um, the things which the seven, utters, uh, seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, and the earth that the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. 
But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, and he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared uh, his servants uh, and prophet, uh, servants to prophets. So he's making this proclamation, and there's something that's about to come forth. And um, there was, when he uttered this voice, it was seven thunders, and he was about to write it down, and he said, don't write it down. And it's kind of strange where this is called the book of Revelation or the unveiling. And then you're still, there still is a mystery and contained within this book. Because we don't know what those, utter, what those um, thunders uttered. What was the voice or what was the words that that thing said. Um, there is a, in Psalm, is it Psalm 20? Yeah, Psalm 29. If we can go there. Um, it, it talks about the voice of the Lord in seven different manifestations. Um, but it really doesn't add much information. And like they said, if the Lord says that it's to be sealed and nobody's to know what it's going to say, I'm not going to speculate on what it said there what, or what these voices said. It would be kind of foolish to do that. But uh, was it Psalm 29? It says 29. There's seven different voices here in it says uh, in Psalm 29, verse 1, and give, give unto the Lord, O ye mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. The voice of the Lord, so here's the first one. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, one. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. So this is number two. Uh, the voice of the Lord is full of majesty, number three. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian are like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord, number five, divides the flame of the fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And his temple, everyone says glory. So there's seven different voices of the Lord in Psalms 29, but it really doesn't give you a clue to what was said during right. that during that um, thing, what, what was uttered. Um, so there's um, something that's going to be a, about to be declared, or a mystery that's about to be declared. Um, it says also in Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, the secret, secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but those things that are revealed belong to us. And to the children forever. So there's certain things that, you know, there's a lot of things in the Bible that we don't know. You know, that we just, there's no, we're just dropped into this timeline of this, this existence. And there's a lot of things in the backstory that we haven't been told yet. And we're, you know, I think that when we get up there, it says that we'll be, we'll know as we have been known. And so I think that there's a lot of things that will be revealed in the future. But right now we're just going with the information so, Pastor Jay, you're reading from different books, right? Because they're yeah. asking, you're skipping around. So we can right. give the notes maybe later if somebody's asking. Well, I have been giving the scriptures when I, I go know, to I, I guess she didn't hear. Yeah. Um, so in verse uh, verse 6, it says, He swore, um, I'm going back to chapter uh, 10 of Revelation, verse 6, He swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven, that the things that are in the earth and the things that are in and the sea, the things that are in it, that there should be delayed no longer. And so what's being delayed here, I believe, is actually the dominion of Christ, you know, taking dominion of the earth. 
And, um, you know, we, we saw the cry of the martyrs. They were, they were upset because they had been martyred for the faith. And they're like, how long is this going to be going on like this? You know, when are we going to get recompense? When are we going to get justice for our lives that were taken? And they were um, under the altar and waiting. And, you know, I remember sharing Jesus to somebody. And I was telling him about Jesus Christ and the fact that he died for us. And he died for our sins. And... You know, if we have faith in Christ that, you know, that, that uh, we get born again and we're a part of his kingdom. And the person that I was talking to, he says, what difference did Jesus' death make? Everything continues as it, as it was. You know, the world is as wicked as it always was. And he had a, um, a genuine question about that. Like he didn't really feel that Jesus' death and resurrection made any difference. And in a sense there's some truth to what he's saying you would think that you know there was a there was a movement back in the day that was called the dominionist movement and they felt that since christ's death and his resurrection that the world would be increasingly better and better until god come back came back and took over this planet and they said that it was it was popular before world war one and world war two but after the two world wars <laughs> after the two world wars is our friend <laughs> Um, that, that that movement pretty much went away because the world hasn't gotten better and better. Millions and millions of people have died in those two world wars, so that, that thing kind of um, faded away. Right now, we take the fact that Jesus Christ has dominion and his, his rule and his dominion is ever-increasing, we take that by faith because we look around and we see the craziness in this world right now and we're thinking, wow, where is this dominion, you know? And it is, you know, in the body of Christ, in the kingdom, his church, we, we can see where there's great effect of that. But um, as far as the world goes, not so much. And the scripture that would back that up is in Hebrews. So this is going to another book right now, Hebrews 2, uh, verse 5. And it says this. It says, for he... Has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testifies in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. And you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that was not put under him, but now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for suffering and death, crowned with glory and honor, and he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So what I'm saying is that Jesus did come, he did uh, incarnate, he did die, and he did resurrect, and he did say that it is finished, and he conquered hell in the grave. But right now, we take these things on faith. We're not seeing the full manifestation of that. But there is coming a time where this is going to, this reality of his conquering all these things is going to break forth into the everyday knowledge. And before that, it's going to be birthed in a, in a great time of tribulation. And so this is what's being proclaimed right here. There's going to be no more delay. This thing's coming now. Yeah. Glenn. You said it was um, three and a half years into the tribulation. Right. And that Jesus was going to protect his people. Mm -hmm. Is that referring to the Jewish people that are left on earth? 
I, is it going to be Petra? Or well, I, I believe that it, it's number one, it's, it's the ones that were sealed. You know, the, the 144,000 Jews that were sealed. There is also a remnant of the, the nation of Israel that will be protected. There is going to be a lot of martyrs during this time. So if you're a believer in Christ, that doesn't guarantee you that you're going to be, um, you're going to be um, um, taken out from any kind of tribulation or even die. You know, it's, I would say that if you are a believer during that time, you're most likely going to die for the faith, you know, because you're going to be a hated species, you know, on this earth. Would you say that in that particular scenario, Jesus was going to I would think, you know, that I don't know if he's he's making just um, that claim to the nation of Israel on that. It sounds like it was, you know, because he was speaking in, in uh, terms of the tribes and uh, in Israel itself, because we're going to get into chapter 12 where we're going to see that he's going to protect Israel in particular. And we know that he's sealed already his 144,000 witnesses. So we know that those guys are going to be sheltered from the wrath that's coming. Um, so, you know, this scripture in Hebrews, I think, is really interesting talking on the, on the level of um, the fact that uh, we don't see the dominion that Jesus promised yet. We don't see it in its fullness at this time. You know, we, we still see poverty. We still see war. We still see uh, babies born, you know, with, with uh, birth defects and all these things. So we're not seeing the manifestation of his kingdom at this time, but we take that by faith that we believe his kingdom is here by faith. And, and as we act, exercise faith, we manifest his kingdom. You know, it says, you know, when we pray for somebody and we have faith and we see a healing, that's what Jesus says, Your king, my kingdom has been manifested by that. So whenever we have faith, that's the thing. Um, but right now, uh, he hasn't broken in by and large to the, to the masses in, in, you know, that everybody knows that Jesus is sitting on the throne. Everybody knows that I better bow my knee to Jesus right now. It's something that has to be accepted by faith at this point, right? It says um, in verse 7, so going back to, to Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 10. It says um, in verse 7, it says, casting... Uh, that uh, verse 7 it says but the days of the sounding of the seventh angel he is about to sound the mystery of God would be finished and he declared to his servants and the prophets so the mystery I'm wondering you know if this would be synonymous with the mystery of iniquity you know because even in Thessalonians it says the mystery of iniquity doth already work you know but that which hinders will hinder till he be taken out of the way so there was the something called the mystery of iniquity which was like uh, wickedness and sinfulness. So it was opposing the kingdom of God. You know, Satan is called the, uh, the ruler of this age, or he's the prince of this world. He's the, the ruler of this time right now. And why didn't Jesus just bind him and do, you know, he has authority to do it, but why did he allow this to continue on? 2,000 years we've been waiting, you know. So here we're seeing that this thing, uh, so in, in chapter 7, during the sounding of the seventh trumpet, how long? Uh, it's been delayed. It's no longer going to be delayed. A casting out of Satan is the only event of the seventh trumpet that is a uh, uh, missing, uh, necessary before the kingdom of the world can become those of God and his Christ. So right now, Satan still has access to heaven. You know, we're going to see in a later chapter that Satan actually gets cast out of heaven and he's confined to the earth. 
and he comes down and it says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because the devil's been cast down to you and he knows that he has a short time. So right now he still has access, just like in the book of Job, I, it seems like he can go up to the go uh, up to heaven and he can come down to the earth. You know, he says, where you been? He says, well, I've been walking to and fro on the earth, but he went up into heaven to give an account of what his time, what he was doing. So he is definitely under the authority of God, but right now he still has access to heaven. There's coming a point where he's going to be cast out, and that's when this, this thing is going to take place. This, this dominion is going to really start at that point. His, his kingdom at that midpoint of the tribulation period has only three and a half years left. You know, he's got three and a half years of, of full dominion. And so if we look at, um, we look at uh, verse 8 coming up here. Seven thunders. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, sorry. Did the TV go off? <laughs> so, if you look at verse uh, verse eight, it says, "And the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth.' And he went to the angel and said to him, 'Give me the little book.'" And I said uh, to me, take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. So I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So, you know, this was, this was something that took place also uh, in the in the book of Ezekiel, the same thing. Ezekiel had a prophecy, and we can go Ezekiel two eight. So who's eating this? Is this John? This is John. Yeah, John. Um, and I'll explain why that would be the case. So if we look at um, Ezekiel, or you don't have to go there. I'll just read it. Uh, Ezekiel chapter two verse eight, and it says. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give to you. Now when I, took, when I looked, it was in his hand. He stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside written on it were lamentations and warnings and woe. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, eat what you find and eat the scroll Go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat the scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give to you. So I ate it, and in my mouth it was like honey and its sweetness. And then um, I think Jeremiah, there was also a reference to that. So basically what he's saying, you know, to get a, a fresh revelation from God and receiving knowledge from the Lord is good. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's like, wow, that's really uh, sweet, and it's nice. But then the ramifications of the information that you're getting can be better. You know, it could be very uh, hard to handle because you're, he's, re he's eating these things and he's, he's thinking about what's coming down for the earth, what's coming down for the Jewish people. And it's, it's bitter. It made him upset in his stomach. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's talking about woe. It's talking about this is the time of Jacob's trouble. This is the time where the earth is, is this really going to be convulsing in, in uh, labor pains because it's birthing this kingdom. So it's, it's a bad time 
but his information and the knowledge of it is like, wow, this is amazing. These are the things that we all would like to know. And so I think that's the comparison he's making with that. Taking it would be bitter in your stomach, but sweet as honey in your mouth. So this is the next image. I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit here. Um, so that's basically chapter 10. Chapter 10 was only 11 verses, so it was pretty short. And um, the information there was, you know, there wasn't a whole lot with, those, with that chapter. So that's, that was why I decided to attempt uh, chapter 10 and 11 tonight, because it's pretty short. Um, so chapter 11 begins with the two witnesses. And what I'm showing here on this screen, well, let me, let me uh, read uh, chapter 11, uh, verse 1 through 6 first for some context. It says, when I was given a read like a measuring rod... And an angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, which those who worship there and leave out the court, which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given over to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and two lampstands standing before the God of the whole of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anybody wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. They have power to shut the heavens so that rain fall, no rain falls in the days of the prophecy. They will have power of the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. So really amazing, amazing um, portion of scripture. Now this picture does not actually exist. The Dome of the Rock actually is there but next to it we see this is what uh, somebody's concept of the rebuilt temple would look like in, in that uh, space occupied. And you know it says that you know that, that it says that uh, do not measure it for it has been in, in verse 2 leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given over to the Gentiles. So, that, you know, if you're looking at this as the Temple Mount, there's a lot of controversy about this also. Is this the actual location of where the temple was? But if it was, there is, if you look at a satellite picture, there is an empty area to, you know, to the side of it. This is the Dome of the Rock Mosque. There, there is empty space there. And so this could possibly be a partition wall that they're talking about, that this site has been given over to the Gentiles. So there's a way that this temple could be rebuilt without destroying the Dome of the Rock. Because some of the Jews want to just level this thing. They want to take that off. They feel like it's an abomination for them to have on the Temple Mount a Muslim you know, place of worship. And so this could be a compromise. I think that what would institute this even becoming a reality is probably the Gog-Magog War is where this would take place. Because right now, if they were to attempt to do anything over here, the Muslims would go into a flurry. But there's coming a war that's, that's, that nobody really knows where it's going to take place. They don't realize, they don't, under, they, don't, they don't can't pin it to, is it in the tribulation period? Is it after the tribulation period starts? I have a sense that it could be very soon, very soon that this war could erupt between um, these, these Muslim nations that surround you know, the area because all the alliances are there. You would have, you know, it's not only Muslim, but it's Russia. You have Turkey, you have Libya, you have all these nations that are all in an alignment. Iran, right now, they have an, and they'd never had an alignment before, and right now they do. 
And um, you know, if the United States, if we continue on the course we're going, man, this country is just getting weakened by the day. We we really need to pray, you know, with with the the attacks and the assaults that are coming upon our country. Because when we when we read this prophecy, in um, uh, you know, I think J.D. Farage was just talking about this, you know. Uh, about the the Magog War, oh, yeah. why there's no protest, why there's no support from the U.S. How come there's no support? Because it seems like the America America has been taken down to the point where they can't even respond to this, and it encourages them to make an assault on this. But the amazing part is God fights for Israel at this point. They should never have won this war, but it's so obvious that God uh, fought for Israel at this point that it says God is hollowed in the eyes of the nations. The nations just look at this and they go, wow, that was God because they shouldn't have survived. But five-sixths of the invading army gets taken out and Israel survives. And not only that, they take a lot of land. Now, I was just listening to a sermon the other day and it was by uh, Perry Stone and he was talking about how there was these mighty moves of God and he, he laid it out. It's the first guy I actually heard talk about this. And he says how there was major revivals Every time there was a major revival within the church in 1948, there was a, there was a healing revival. There was a, um, there was a revival of the baptism, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of speaking in tongues during the 40s. And that was when Israel became a nation. There was a move of God that took place. Then 1967, when they got control of Jerusalem, when they won the Six-Day War, there was another outpouring. And there was a, just a restoration within the church. And there was mighty revivals. There was a Jesus movement. A lot of people came to faith. And I, pr I know that we have all been praying for a move of God, a mighty move of God. I don't know if before the rapture of the church, there's going to be a Magog war where it's just going to look so horrible. And yet Israel prevails. And then the, there's an expansion within the church at that point. There's a harvest worldwide of souls. I'm hoping that that could be the case. Not that I want to be here for the... Magog war, I mean, it's, it's kind of scary, but yet if God does something like that, he pours out his spirit on, on the church at that point, and there's a major expansion and revival within the church, wouldn't that be awesome? And then he raptures the church out of here right after that. So that's a possibility. It's not, it's not written in stone because nobody knows when actually when the Magog war is going to take place. But So here is, you know, say that that does take place. <laughs> And then the rapture takes place. The church is taken out. The Antichrist comes on the scene. And everybody's saying, wow, you know, we, we don't want a war like that ever, more, uh, ever again. And Israel's in a really strong position to negotiate. We want to build our temple up on this mountain. And then that allows it at that point. He, he ratifies that, that um, uh, covenant, you know, that we're, that's being worked on even now. So these are, you know, these are some more pictures of... Uh, so even in the old temple, this is the, the Herod's temple, there was an outer court that was called the court of the Gentiles. So that there was an area, you know, that would um, accommodate, say, say if, this is, if this was the position of the temple in the days of Christ. And right now, when they built the Dome of the Rock, they picked the wrong location because they wanted it over the rock where supposedly... Um, uh, Abraham sacrificed Isaac or, or was, gonna, was going to sacrifice Isaac on that rock and say they picked the wrong location. You know, they were, they were fooled and they actually built their Dome of the Rock there and the temple was actually there. You can see in that first picture that I showed you how that could accommodate the temple, a, a Jewish temple being built on that space. So these are all propositions. The, the amazing thing is these things were 2,000 years or close to 2,000 years old and uh, this way. 
um, that these uh, prophecies are being fulfilled in this day and this age right now. Yeah, I mean that that in 90 AD uh, or 70 AD the temple was leveled and these people were scattered throughout the earth. But yet there's prophecies that are talking about the fact that they're back in uh, in the last days. There's going to be a temple again, you know. And if we go to Matthew 24, which is, you know, what, what the Antichrist is, it's called the desolation, the abomination that causes desolation, Matthew 24. And Jesus expects us all to understand what that means. Um, uh, this is Matthew 24, 15. And it says this in, tw in uh, Matthew 24, 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet... Whoever stands in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are on the housetop not go down or take anything in his house, into his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, those who are nursing babes in those days. Pray that your flight not be during the winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be such great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor even... Before and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So there's a that, that's one scripture that's talking about the abomination that causes desolation. It means is when the Antichrist goes into this rebuilt temple um, shortly after uh, or around the middle point of the tribulation period, right at the midpoint, and he goes in and he proclaims himself to be God and he demands everybody uh, to worship him as God. worship him as God and you know that that's the midpoint of the tribulation period it says in 2 Thessalonians 2 um, it says now brethren concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble either by spirit or by word or letter as from us as though the day of Christ had come let no one deceive you by any means. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the, the man of sin, the son of perdition, uh, is revealed, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God so that he is worshipped, that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this is why the temple must be rebuilt uh, in the last days because the Antichrist is going to go into there and he's going to proclaim himself to be God and he's defiling the temple. And that's when the Jews take off and they go into the wilderness, into the uh, walled city of Petra, which we'll get to probably in the next chapter. Um, you have mentioned that they have, they have, it, they have the plans. They, they have said that they could construct this thing really quickly. You know, you look... They've trained, up, they've trained up the priesthood. They've been working on this thing for quite some time. And it could, it could happen a lot faster than what most people would believe. They must, they, they probably have all the stones cut. They probably have all the money that they need to build this. The implements are built. It could go up pretty quick, I think. So they just definitely have decided on location. It's not about location. It's about what the effect this would have on the Muslim world. It would cause a jihad. It, so that's why I'm saying that, that that problem has to be eliminated somehow. That's why, you know, even this... Um, this deal of the century. I'm not sure if that's listed in there. I know that that. Uh, it's uh, a really deal of the century. Yeah, I I know that he that um, Netanyahu met with Putin as well as our president, 
and was requesting, we want to build our temple. You know, so that it's out there. That it's on the table. You know, this is this is happening in our in our day and our age right now. And so, um, so it says that, uh, they will give power. Okay, we're back to chapter eleven. He was given a reed like a measuring rod. So I, I looked that up in the Dakes Bible. Um, it says that a uh, what was that? No, a reed. Like a measuring rod, a reed is about twelve. I, I, it's like a, a tape measure, but in there, in those days, it was about twelve and a half feet long. And so, they want to rebuild this temple for uh, sacrifice as well as well as worship. That's what they want to do. There is actually five, or more like four, temples in the, in the history of, of so far. One is future. Um, it says there was there was Solomon's temple. And if you're writing this down, you can find that in 1 Kings uh, chapter 5, 5 through 8. There was the, after the exile, Zerubbabel's temple, that was the rebuilt of the Solomon's temple that was destroyed. So that's in Haggai uh, 1 and 2 in, in the book of Ezra. And then there was Herod's, Herod's temple, which is Zerubbabel's temple, but it was just added on to. Remember when they came back from the exile, they were so disappointed because the temple was so... Um, it was so sad looking that the people cried because they go, man, we don't, re we don't really remember that um, when the temple was here with Solomon, it was such a grand, you know, masterpiece. And now we just have this little box over here. And so the people were sad over that. And so in Jesus's time, Herod came in and he wanted to be popular with the people. So he put all this money towards refurbishing this temple. You remember what Jesus said in the, I think it's the gospel of John. He says, tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it in, in three days. He was talking about his body. But they said, it's taken 46 years to build this and you're going to build it up in three days. He was talking about his physical body. They were talking about a building that took 46 years of renovation to make it look like this, you know, sort of like that, that image right there of what Herod's temple looked like. And then there's the future Jewish temple, which is prophetic. The Antichrist is going to defile. We read those scriptures. Daniel 9.27 also talks about that. In the midpoint of the tribulation, he goes in and he defiles it. Um, and then the last one is, is during the, um, well, that, that's the, the, uh, the last one. And then there's the one during the millennial temple. In Ezekiel 40, 48, it gives real detailed measurements of that temple. So there's actually um, actually four, but with this, with the Herod's temple being added in, he said five, five versions of the temple that are going to be built. Um, so this, this also, it says, they have power to shut the heavens so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. They have power to over the waters to turn them to blood and strike the earth as often as the, and plague as often as they desire. Um, you know, it breaks down the, the time frame also, which is three and a half years. So when you talk about three and a half years, you're dealing with a 360 day calendar. It's not a 365. So 360 uh, times three uh, plus a half a year would be 180 days, so 1,260 days. So this is the time period that the, these two witnesses have. It's three, it's 1,260 days in accordance with a 360-day calendar. So you can do the math on that one. So um, they, these are the two witnesses, the two witnesses that are coming down there. I asked uh, Henry Matarito when he was here this last time, 
And I says, is there any talk about the two witnesses in Jerusalem or anywhere? And he goes, no, not, a, not I mean, he says, there's people wait, looking for them, but they're not, he hasn't heard of anybody yet who's there. I think we would have to be more towards uh, the, the tribulation period before they're going to show up. Um, so these, uh, these are the two olive trees that stand before uh, the, the God of the whole earth. And in, in Zechariah chapter 4, it talks about that. He has this vision and he sees these, these two olive trees and it's next to the lamp, the, the menorah in heaven. And it's like these two trees are adding oil into the receptacle so it's constantly burning. And you're thinking, what is this? And it seems like it's an illustration of eternal life or it's, it's just feeding this, this uh, thing that's in heaven. Everything that was done here on the earth was a copy of the things that were done in heaven. And so these two witnesses, um, you know, I used to believe that the two witnesses, because of the transfiguration in Matthew 17, that most likely it would be Moses and uh, Elisha. And we, I believe that one of them is identified in the book of Malachi because it says Elisha will come before the great and the dreadful day of the Lord. The very last chapter of Malachi talks about Elisha is one of the witnesses. So we know we have identified him. And I used to believe it was Moses because that would make the most sense to be a witness to the Jews. And they're going to be witnessing of Jesus Christ. They're going to be speaking of Christ. And there's going to be people that are not, not going to like this ministry. And they're going to try to harm them. But God is protecting them and they've given them the ability to have fire come out of their mouth and destroy their enemies. You know, it's just really, or they can, they can call down, they can stop the rain for three and a half years. And according to the book of James, we know that Elijah did that. He, he stopped the rain for three and a half years and then he prayed again and it rained. The heavens gave rain. So we know Elisha is one of them. The other one that I thought it would be Moses, which makes the most sense, it would be the most uh, uh, appropriate witness for the... Uh, nation of Israel who represent the law and the prophets but then I thought about I thought about it and and he already died Moses died you know and it says it's an appointed unto men once to die right. and then after that the resurrection and I go yeah but there's other people who have died more than once but then if he died and has a glorified body and then he comes back to the earth how can he die again you can't really die. You're not subject to death at that point. So I've amended my view on that. And I believe that the two witnesses are Elijah and Enoch. Because they never died. Because they never died. And if it's not Enoch, then Enoch would be the firstborn. He would be glorified even before Christ. He would have a glorified body even before Christ. And so that just doesn't make sense. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He's the first one to partake of a, a glorified body and a resurrected body. So I've, I've since changed my view on that. You know, I, I thought, wow, that makes the most sense because in the transfiguration, it was Moses and Elijah. And there's still people that hold that view. I was listening to Chuck Smith, and he holds to that view. And there's a lot of people that do. But just thinking about it, and I was reading in the Dakes Bible, and I even talked to Henry about it before he left. And he goes, yeah, but Moses already died. He already has a glorified body. How are you going to kill somebody who has a glorified body? That's right. You cannot. You know, I can see if he died and then was resurrected again, you know, or came back to life right. and then died again. Yeah, so, so yeah, that, that makes way more sense that it would be Enoch that would be the witness. And it could be because Enoch would be representative of Gentiles. You know, Elisha uh, would be uh, representative of the Jews and Enoch was raptured before the flood and he's reminiscent of the church or Gentiles more. So it, that could be it, you know, so... You have these two witnesses, they're, they're clothed in sackcloth, and um, 
and, and ashes, you know, sackcloth. It says they have power. Uh, let's go back to the, the scripture in verse 5. It says, if anyone wants to harm them, so this 11.5, fire proceeds from their mouths and devours their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, they must be killed in this manner. They have power to shut the heavens so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast which ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And so uh, he's going to, the, the beast that comes out of the bottomless pit, which is pretty cryptic, you know, it's hard to find some information on that, but, you know, um, and it says uh, the bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. Then those from the people, the tribes, tongues, and nation will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not, not allow their dead bodies to be put into the graves that those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because of the two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. So they're going to kill him. The, the, the beast is going to come up or an angel that accompanies him is going to kill these two supernatural witnesses. So they physically die and they lay out in the street for three and a half days. They don't even bury him. And, it's, and it says the whole world is going to see this. And everybody used to say before, how is the whole world going to see this thing taking place? But now we have satellite TV, so that wouldn't be a problem. So you got CNN over there with their cameras on there. Yeah, these people were so terrible. They finally, the Antichrist finally prevailed over them. Thank God that he killed these two witnesses. There was fire was coming out of their mouth and they stopped it from raining and all this. And then after three and a, three and a half days, well, they're going to actually have like a Christmas. It says the world celebrated uh, the apparent death of the witnesses. So they're they're it says that they're um, uh, that they're they're just so happy about this. Now uh, it says those from the peoples of the tribes and tribes, uh, verse ten, those who dwell on the earth will rejoice and make merry and send gifts to one another because of the two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth for three and a half years. They're just getting torment from these guys because they're wicked. They're they're opposing the things of God. They're witnessing about Jesus Christ being the Messiah. These guys are opposing it. And now people are having like Christmas. They're sending gifts to one another because they've killed these two witnesses. But in verse 11 it says, Now after three and a half days the breath of life came from God, entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those that saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven It says, Come up here. So what was the word in chapter 4 of the book of Revelation? Chapter 4 it says, I heard a voice like a trumpet that says, come up here. But this isn't so much as a rapture. It seems like an, an ascent, like how Christ went up slowly when everybody saw him. So you got CNN over there watching this. The cameras are rolling, and these dead bodies are there, and there are flies on, and all of a sudden, boom, they stand up, and they just start rising up into heaven, and everybody sees it. That would be pretty mind-blowing, right? Um, it says, come up here, and they ascended into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell, and the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to God of, of heaven. So this is, you know, something that's coming in the future. You know, one of the things that uh, made reference is a, you know, picture of them ascending back up into heaven, the best that I could find. There really wasn't too many pictures of them ascending up. But um, this is an interesting one here. You know, we... 
when we think of Israel, we like to think of them, oh, they're, they're holy people, and they're this and that, and they're godly, and they read the Torah, and they observe the Sabbath, and they probably do those things, you know what I mean? But it's, it's interesting that um, it says, uh, it says in verse 8, their dead bodies will lie in the street in the great city, which is spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. So they call, God is calling Jerusalem, Sodom, and Egypt. Egypt is synonymous with the world, and there is basically compromised full on with whatever's going on in the world. This picture was taken from an event that's annually. It was uh, the gay pride parade and event. Uh, in, in, uh, it's actually coming up on the 12th of this month. It's in June, every year, the um, second week of June 2020. One of the biggest events of the year, 250,000 attendees. Whoa. descend on this place uh, it's a full on I mean there's so much pictures you want to look this up there's choke pictures of this gay pride event in Israel and that's why you think God prophetically he, he uttered this this is an egregious sin to God you would never think that he would even use those words connecting Sodom with Jerusalem but here it is and so this is more prophecy being fulfilled right here you know that we see this in, in real time that, that um, these people are you know, celebrating this. And I asked Pastor Rob about that one time. Why are Jewish people so liberal? Why are they, why are they so democratic when they see, you know, that this goes against morality or goes in? He says that they're hyper tolerant. They, they feel like they don't want to be messed with. So if I tolerate things, that that means that I'm, you know, don't mess with me. I won't mess with you. It's kind of their mindset. You know, it's, they don't want to stand up for moral causes, it seems. And yet, you know, the Jewish people, they, they have a sense of morality. You know, they, they've got the Judeo-Christian ethic. And uh, I don't know. This is kind of a strange thing where we have our preconceived notions about that. But this is a reality. I looked into this before. But it, in the Bible, it's calling them Sodom and, and uh, Egypt. Huh? Um, so, verse 13. It says, in that hour there was a great earthquake. Um, they said that this ties into another uh, portion of scripture where all the islands fled away and all, you know, there's another, we're going to come up to it in a later chapters and I'll try to tie it back into there where there was this other, they said those are the same earthquake. Uh, it says that there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell and the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to God. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe, woe is coming quickly. So... You know, these are, these are the things that made his stomach bitter, all these, these judgments that were proclaimed. Um, then the seventh angel sounded. So remember I said that there was this, all this parenthetical stuff going on, and finally we're getting to the seventh angel. I don't, um, the seventh angel is about to blow his trumpet. The seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord, and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell down on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord Almighty, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, should be destroyed. Uh, you should destroy those who destroyed the earth. Then the temple 
of God was open in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple and there was lightnings, noises, thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. So this is the point where God is beginning to take dominion. He, he's beginning to uh, proclaim his reign over the earth and yet it's not going to happen for another three and a half years when he physically comes and he steps down on the earth but it's moving in that direction now finally you've been waiting the devil's had free reign this guy's just been doing good crazy you know he's just deceiving people killing people you know whatever but it's moving in that progression and it's such a glorious scene that the 24 elders are the reminiscent of the church just fall down on their faces and they're worshiping the Lord and giving thanks because he's finally going to take dominion and the, the time. And then it says that the lightnings and thunders and then the ark was seen in the heavens. Um, the, temp, the temple of God was open in the heavens and the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple. And there was lightnings, noises, thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. So... Um, I'm not really sure of the significance of that, to be honest with you. You know, the, I know that, you know, when Moses was commanded to build the tabernacle, um, he said, make sure that you make this exactly to the pattern that I showed you on the mountain. So this is a, the, whatever we have on the earth, there's a duplicate of the same pattern in heaven. Um, there's people, as far as the Ark of the Covenant, will they have the Ark of the Covenant when this new temple is built? Some people think that, uh, you know, you search that topic out and there's people who say that the Ethiopian church in Africa is holding the Ark of the Covenant. They say that they have it somewhere in a chamber. Ron Wyatt says that he saw it's below the grotto of one of the prophet Jeremiah's grotto and it's down in there and he says he's physically saw it. You know, I, th I think I spoke on that. You can look that up on YouTube. It's kind of interesting. They said it's there. It's waiting. They're not going to touch it until the right time and then they're going to bring it in and possibly put it in the temple. Um, who knows for sure? I don't know the significance of them, sh of the heavens being open and, or the, the temple being open and this being seen at this point. But there's lightnings and, and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail is what's taking place during this. So that's uh, basically chapter 10 and 11 of the book of Revelation. So basically what we're seeing um, is a progression of the judgments. We're at the midpoint of the tribulation. And the, the dominion of Jesus is coming. The next thing that's going to take place is Satan is going to be cast out of heaven. So we're actually seeing these things are starting to come. And at that midpoint of the tribulation, Satan gets cast out of heaven. Then it's woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of what's coming at that point. If this all wasn't bad enough already. You know? But it's, it's amazing you know, to see, um, you know, even with, the, with that image that I showed you here. You know, that how much reality we saw the, the, the desire to build the temple, which be, you know, a few decades before that wasn't a reality. But here it is a reality. We're seeing this this thing taking place on the streets of, of uh, Israel, whereas before we didn't have these kind of parades coming over here. And they're calling this city uh, Sodom and Egypt, you know, so we're it, just every step of the way. This book is just more and more and more clear. It's more and more accurate. So. It's amazing to, you know, to study the word of God and see these things taking place in our lifetime. And um, that's where we're at right now.